Hello my friends, how are you doing? This is Coffee Chug Books and I am here with episode number 98 and I get to speak with the phenomenal Diana Rendina. So many of you in my learning circle and beyond have read her books, use her blog, follow her on social media. She is the one of, one of the main voices of the makerspace realm in terms of just helping people understand what is needed, how to make it work, and just really good, practical, insightful, helpful things. Um, you know, as, as there's so many voices in education anymore, you know, it's, it's really, really important to find these authentic voices that are truly here to help educators impact the lives of students. And this conversation is nothing short of phenomenal. I learned so many things, even listening to it here again through the editing process. It's like, man, there's just, I wish I had another three hours just to talk with her because she really just has a great insight. She has a great knack and uh, just an amazing perception on how to do this work. Because I think as much as Makerspace has been around and most people have it or at least have heard enough about it to be able to speak on it, it's another thing to implement the space well that allows us to help students and the learning of the culture as a whole for the building. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast. I'd love it um, to hear your thoughts, leave some comments, reach out to us, let us know what you think from the content. And, you know, if you get a chance to do a review, that would be phenomenal. All right, my friends, here we go. Diana Rendina. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker, living on the edge of chaos, born insane, listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring, one of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello, everyone. How you doing? This is Coffee Chug Books here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And as we embark here on a new season of the podcast series, really taking to the focus of STEM and makerspace and hands-on learning, purposeful play, any kind of buzzword you want to throw in there. They're all important things, but uh, we have lots of words being mixed in here. And really what we're trying to get back to is just the essence of what it means to get kids excited about learning again. And this guest that we have on today is a name that if any of you have dabbled in makerspace, you're either referencing her work, you've read her books, um, or any of your speakers or sessions that you go to in conferences is probably begged, borrowed, or steeled her ideas at some point. And so uh, without further ado, um, Diana, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, um, explain who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive into the fun. Okay, sure. So my name is Diana Rendina, and I am a media specialist at Tampa Preparatory School in Tampa, Florida. I've been at that school for about two years, and I'm currently piloting our library maker space. Before that, I was at Stuart Middle Magnet School, also in Tampa, for seven years. And that was where I really started my makerspace work um, back in 2014, we started the makerspace there because it was a STEM magnet, but there wasn't any kind of STEM experience in the library. And so I wanted to kind of bring that in, and I just kind of figured it out as I went along. There were a few schools doing it. There were some public libraries doing it, um, but there weren't a lot of school libraries, like, really digging in. So we just kind of 
learned as we went, and um, I documented it all in my blog, Renovated Learning, and the rest is history. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so I know, I mean, I was just at a, a maker meetup for, um, it was primarily uh, media specialists and librarians in, in, in our state, um, and the whole idea was how do we get started with makerspace what's this mean and and so many of them had this question it's so maybe i'll pose it with you since you're you're going through the journey and getting ready to do this again with in, in your new school um you know the question i hear always comes up in these in these meetups and these conferences is how do you balance all the hats that a media specialist has to wear. I think if, if you are a media specialist, you're already nodding your head because you wear about 14,000 hats, and now all of a sudden people are coming in and asking you to, you know, figure out this makerspace thing. It usually seems like the pretty common starting point. Um, how have you found it to, like, to try to balance all that where you still have the importance of the media center, the library, the reading, all that stuff that goes on, mm. but then also weaving in this, this kind of new territory for a lot of people of this hands-on learning and makerspace. And, you know, sometimes that comes with noise and mess and it's, there's this weird little balance, um, you know, and so how have you managed that or stories that you've heard from others is, cause I, I think even though it's something that, so many of us have continued to grapple with, and, and it's not a, a new problem. It's still something that is constantly reoccurring of, how do I do this, without, more importantly, without burning out? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's, there's a couple of different elements to this. Um, so I'll go with, with one side of it first and the other. Um, the first side of it is that, um, as a librarian, I really see makerspaces as kind of an extension and an evolution of what we've always been doing as librarians, um, which is that we're, we've always been about providing resources. Um, as school librarians, we've been about collaborating with teachers, you know, meeting our students' needs, providing an environment that is maybe different from the classroom um, to help support the learning in our schools. And to me, makerspaces are just kind of that natural evolution. And it, we've done stuff like that before with things like makers, or not makerspace, but centers in elementary school where they had the little activities, you know, and Reggio Emilia and Montessori and all of that kind of thing. Like, um, it's not a completely new. I mean, it's stuff that's been around. And I, I think the library is kind of the natural place for those things to happen because the library is accessible to the whole school. Um, as opposed to just one teacher doing something in their classroom and only their students experience it. Um, so to me, that's just, I guess that's more of the why as opposed to the balance. Um, but I feel that's a kind of an important thing to address. To me, makerspace isn't a separate thing that I have to like add on to my librarianing. It's, um, it's just a part of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that that's a key point. I, I interrupted you there, and I apologize, but I think that's something I work. No, with tw- no, no. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. Yeah, because I work with twenty-one school districts, and this seems to come up a lot. Either whether I, if I get mm-hmm. a chance to actually work with the media specialist, or I'm meeting with an admin who has this vision to make it happen because they think they have to jump on on the gravy train, right? Um, right. And I think you, that's really really important mindset to think about. That it's not one more thing it's not an add-on this is just mm-hmm. it's blending all the things that that we know and i really like what you said what librarians have been doing for ages um and so i mm-hmm. think i think that that's really really important um for people to think about because oftentimes it's i have this job and i have this job and i think the the, the grind becomes how do i balance it when really they should just be together yeah yeah absolutely um the other thing which i think addresses kind of more of the getting started balance part um, 
Because I, I think a lot of people tend to think that if they're going to get started, they have to do everything at once. Like they have to have that $10,000 grant and have that extra room and like have it completely tricked out with like a 3D printer and a laser cutter and like everything. And they have to have, you know, 10 classes planned every week. Um, but I think the better way to avoid burning out, I mean, if you can do that and support it, you know, and your school's got the ability to do that, that's great. But I think kind of taking it slowly, easing into it, um, working it into things that you already do as a school. Like I know at Stewart, um, we started, we had three bins of connects and that was like, okay, we've got three bins of connects. We have a makerspace. Like literally that was it. Uh, we just like threw them on some tables. Um, and you know, in terms of getting started with it, we, you know, like, okay, let's start a club that meets once a week and we're going to just make stuff out of connects. Like, we have these incentive parties for kids that get, you know, good grades. Let's have it be a maker party and we're just going to make stuff at the party because we do that anyhow, mm -hmm. you know, instead of just pizza. Like, let's actually do something fun. Um, so we just started incorporating it into things. You know, I would collaborate with science teachers and I'd say, hey, let's add this, you know, kind of hands-on activity into the lesson we were going to do. So it was just, it blended into things I was already doing. And I think that made the transition easier. Um, and, and I think that is part of the thing is just, you know, one step at a time, you know, not necessarily doing everything all at once. At my current school, um, the librarian before me was very traditional and the library was very much like a quiet, like not active space. Sure. Um, so, you know, I've eased into it at my current school where it's like, okay, we're going to do clubs during lunch or we're going to do clubs after school. And let's see how that goes. And then I've had some teachers get interested and they've worked with me and we've done some projects together. Um, and so it's just kind of that gradual building up where, you know, it's not like do everything right right at the beginning. Because that's a pretty good way to burn out if you're like, you know, you think you have to schedule all of the classes and do all of the things on top of everything else you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I agree. And I think you know, and the, that, that balancing act comes into play again because – you know, the very first thing we're told, like, well, where do I go for ideas? Well, you know, go on the internet, whether it's Pinterest or Twitter or Facebook groups, wherever your your your, your interest lies within the social media, and you mm -hmm. jump on there and you see these mind-blowing projects. You see these, you know, picture-perfect spaces, and you think, oh, my gosh, I have to have this. And, and really, if you dive into it and reach out to those people or, or really get to the people that are doing the work, you find out they're doing exactly just what you said. You start small, and over time, you incrementally start to build maybe a, a more robust supply of materials and tools. But that's down the road once the culture has been set. Um, exactly. You're building your own confidence because I think that's a lot of times we see the adults lacking the confidence, and we have a hard time then converting that into, wondering why kids don't have confidence mm -hmm. um, so I think that is, that's so important like those those baby steps but I think there's also that pressure right where a media specialist or whoever has in charge of the makerspace goes I got to make this look amazing or it's going to mm -hmm. go you know so there's this other pressure of you know if it doesn't look phenomenal who knows what, what my admin or whoever in charge might might say no more we're done with it right right and so as you go, and, and I know you get a chance to speak and present, and, and um, people love your ideas, and all your stuff is on your on your website there, which I'll definitely link in the show notes. What have been some things, you know, as we move into a new school year, um, that's emerging, or maybe it's it's still around, things that, that you're excited about, things that you're hearing, um, for those that are maybe just 
they've taken a break from the summer as we all need that mental uh, reprieve. Um, and now they're like, okay, I've been doing these things. I'm looking for something new or, or what's on the cutting edge. Um, what are some things that you've been noticing in, in your reading and work and talking with people um, that has you excited moving into this uh, next school year? Um, hmm. <laughs> this is a slightly tricky one because I tend to not follow the trends that well. Um, I do know in, in my school, in my space, virtual reality has been a really uh, big push at my school. Um, we actually uh, last year started a Unity development class um, mm -hmm. where the kids are learning how to program in Unity and our makerspace has been a part of that. Um, so for me, that's kind of been my focus lately is just learning more about virtual reality, seeing how we can incorporate it into different classes. Our art teacher has been doing some really amazing projects, um, having students do sculpture in virtual reality, and mm -hmm. then we've been 3D printing them. Um, so for me, that's kind of, I, I guess, where I am at. And I guess virtual reality has kind of been a trend for a few years now, so I don't know if that really qualifies sure. as, like, new, exciting thing. No, bro, yeah, um. yeah, yeah. And maybe it's not so much a trend, and maybe I yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I. I you know, I worded it wrong because I'm also, um, no. I mean, I was just at ISTE, at ISTE and of course you can walk the exhibition hall and everybody and their mother has a shiny, flashy, brand new <laughs> object. But if you really get into it, you know, I, I, oh, yeah. I question not to knock things, but I question like, is there truly learning or is this just, you know, the next gimmick that lasts for two months? And, mm -hmm. um, and so maybe it's not so much the trends, it's just in terms of like, maybe, maybe it's more makerspace development is what I'm sure. after. And I guess the reason I'm asking that is because I see within like the last six months and the work that I've done, I've seen a, um, a lot of people starting to go, okay, this makerspace stuff is out there. We're getting it started or we've got it going, but now um, we need to start connecting it to learning, mm. you know? And, I, and so I, I'm seeing this kind of shift of we've got, ingredients of it moving we got kids coming in or whatever the the structure might be but now the pressure is is this actually worthwhile um you know right. are the kids learning and for mm -hmm. me I, for me my my thing that i'm excited i guess i'll share mine is i'm excited for this but my fear is that it we don't schoolify it where all of a sudden we have assessments mm -hmm. with every single thing every time a kid walks into the makerspace you know this there's this right. fine balance of there's a reason we're getting excited about it because it doesn't feel like school but there's mm -hmm. also the pressures to make sure that our minutes of our day are being utilized as well. So for me, I'm, I'm excited that people are trying to push that boundary. Um, and now it's just a matter of trying to make that work, um, you know. Um, so right. kids are still excited about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, I think in terms of what I'm excited about, it's kind of along those same lines. Is um, I've been seeing a lot of schools, you know, now that, that makerspaces have been around for like five years now, um, you know, plus – you're seeing more schools where they're moving beyond, like you said, just moving beyond the, you know, which there's nothing wrong with like tinkering and just sure. like playing with stuff and exploring in that way. But I, I feel like they're starting to find ways to get deeper learning and deeper connections. I see a lot of schools using design thinking frameworks really well. Um, and just kind of incorporating that into either into their curriculum, like as an actual class or as something that is a part of what, different classes use and they'll do different projects related to it. Um, and it is a really exciting thing to see just the deeper learning aspects that are happening beyond just, you know, like let's build a really cool thing with Legos and then we're done and, you know, that move on to the next whatever sure. activity we're doing, which is great. But I think if you want it to be longer term and sustainable, I think having these deeper opportunities that I see a lot of schools doing is going to help a lot. 
Yeah. Um, but I do also fear the, you know, and, and I get the assessment question all the time. It's oh, like, I know. It's my <laughs> least favorite question to get at conferences because I was like, well, how do you assess? You know, how do you grade them? Like, I don't. Right. Like, are, are they enjoying themselves? Yeah. Are they not hurting other people? Like, it, it's, I feel like it's very much, um, it's not something that you can assess with numbers right. very well. Like, you know, I can't say, well, the student spent five hours a week in the makerspace and now their math score is X points higher. Like, I mean, I think it probably could help their math scores, but I don't feel like... To me, the value is more in, you know, the social emotional experiences that they're getting working with other students, um, the creativity, the collaboration, and you can't really measure those things very well, like with numbers, at right. least. No, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that idea up with social emotional. It was actually something that I was going to bring up to you because I see the space. Um, I get that question quite a bit just working with schools too. Like, well, do you have rubrics for this? Or how do people assess and give points? And I'm like, mm-hmm. why Why do we have to do that for every single thing a kid does in a school day? Like when you go home or when I'm working on a project, I don't sit there and give myself a form of assessment at every 30 minutes to <laughs> see like how I'm doing. Like I, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I have my own natural process. And so, um, but with that, if we think about the social emotional piece, and I think the maker space and these opportunities for this purposeful play um, mm-hmm. is going to address this 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 conversation that a lot of people are having around social emotional learning. And I think there's we've spent so much time on on the academic side of things. Not that we've neglected the social emotional, but now we're starting to see like we have an imbalance in education, and we need to kind of make sure we we build some time into that. In mm-hmm. your space, and and when you're working in your maker space, um, and it's it's not that there's any pure black and white method but how do you address or support or have conversations with kids around like the social emotional side of things and the reason i'm asking is because i think a common thing another common question that pops up time and time again at least in with the teachers i work with is kids kids don't want to work they 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 get so mad when it doesn't work perfect the first time like they Mm. don't and i'm like but it's yeah they don't but they don't have the skill set they they haven't been taught how to persevere you either have the the kids that have figured out the game of school and school has been easy. They can just breeze through things. And so therefore this is a challenge. You have other kids that mm-hmm. maybe have just lacked hands-on learning at play in their general life for family circumstances and just the way society is. Um, so we have all these things working kind of against them. And so we have to like use this opp- opportunity to, to support that. Um, mm-hmm. And so how have you done that? Or, or I don't know, not, I don't want to say tips or tricks, but yeah. I definitely think it's something really important we need to think about when we're doing these types of projects in, 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 in the maker space. Right. Um, well, I think a lot of that really comes down to um, kind of the culture of the maker space. Um, and, and in uh, the book Challenge Based Learning, we talk a lot about maker culture and how important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think part of that is creating that that culture in that space and through the way that you interact with students and the way that you present your own work is that, you know, it's okay to try things and have them not work. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to have different ideas, different iterations of your ideas. Um, I've been really lucky in that a lot of my students that I've worked with already were in that mindset and um, I didn't have to do a lot of extra things to get them through it. Um, But sometimes it's, you know, talking, asking questions like, well, you know, why don't you put that idea for a side and try this idea for a little while and then come back to it or, um, you know, different things to kind of give them a chance. And then sometimes also just letting them, you know, like they're upset. Okay. Like you can be upset. That's fine. Like 
you can just take off today, just, you know, sit in the corner, chill, and then tomorrow we'll try again. Um, I think the other thing that's really valuable too, and this is just good in general, um, but is allowing students to see your own process and, and to see that sometimes like the adults make mistakes. Um, you know, like sometimes I've tried a program idea and it totally bombs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, the way that I react to that bombing is going to inform my students and how they feel comfortable if they see like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something else. You know, they're going to see that I have that mindset and that's going to help them feel more comfortable with their own. Yeah. So, so how did you get to that point where you were comfortable, um, enough to be vulnerable in front of your students, because this, I mean, all the things that, that, that you're saying, and I hope everyone listening in, like this just comes down to my wife's an educator as well. And we have these mm-hmm. debriefing education conversations every single night. Um, you know, once the school year starts and it's like really at the end of the day, education is, it's such common sense, get to know your kids, build relationships, treat people to respect. And you'd be amazed at how much that eliminates so many obstacles, whether we're talking with adults or kids. Um, right. But you're talking this idea of, of, of sharing our own journey, which is mm-hmm. nothing new in the, in the world of, of education or parenting or coaching. Um, and so many of us are absolutely terrified to do that in front of students. We, we mm-hmm. have, we've, something has happened where so many educators have lost their, their self-esteem, their confidence, and mm-hmm. that's a whole nother conversation of why those layers and barriers have, have built up. Um, but when I say that to people, they're like, um, no, like I'm not, you know? And so um, how have you been able to just go, you know what, I'm going to do this coding project and it may not work in front of the kids and that's okay because I think it's something that we all know, but yet so many of us are still terrified to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> to, a, it's a deep question. Not to throw you on the it spot is. there, but I, but I well, think no, it's important. no, no, no. I, I mean, to me, I've always just kind of, as an educator, I've always felt that it's important to be honest with my students. Um, and I like to try new things, and sometimes those new things don't work. And I, I don't... I think it's very disingenuous to hide that from my students. Like I had teachers when I was growing up that would, you know, like you knew that something hadn't gone wrong and they just wanted to kind of brush it aside and pretend it didn't happen. Like to me, I, I feel like it's just better to be honest, just say like, yeah, that didn't work. That's okay. Like, you know, and, and I think where some teachers maybe get tripped up is they feel like they need to share personal things, which I don't think you need to share like your personal life. You know, like you don't need to tell them like, you know, we had to take my dog to the vet this morning or (laughs) whatever. Like, I mean, if you want to share that, that's fine. But, um, you know, I I think maybe that's where some people get tripped up is they feel like they shouldn't share too much. But I think it's good to be a little vulnerable with your students and just let them see that, like, you're a human. You shop at Target, too. Like, you know, like, I think that's important for kids to see. Yeah. And I've shared this this story before on um, some other episodes, but I, I've had the same journey. So I worked at a middle school for 14 years and we had a, a makerspace room. We were a project-based learning school. So we had two spots where kids could come in and kind of bring their ideas to life. And I used to go and craft these amazing projects. I would do it at home and I would like <laughs> hide the whole journey because I wanted to like almost, you know, I guess show off to the kids like, look how awesome Mr. Maurer is. He's built this crazy, whatever this crazy thing is. Right. Um, thinking that it would inspire kids and motivate them to be like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Um, and actually what I started to find, it actually backfired. It actually mm-hmm. almost restricted their thinking because their, their very first thing was, 
I can't do that. I right. it's, it's 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 too good. Like and mm-hmm. not that my stuff was phenomenal, but just the amount of time I poured into it to make it look extra special. You know, and so I, I finally had this like revelation. So I started doing all the building in the space with the mm-hmm. kids during the project as well. And so as they're asking questions, I was just like, dude, I don't know, because look at look at mine. I don't even know. Like, let's just figure this out together. And mm-hmm. it really kind of shifted the dynamics of the space where a lot of the students almost became teachers because they would figure something out and be like, oh, my gosh, I, look at this, how you do it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so great. Like you say, you mm-hmm. know, and it just and it was such an obvious thing that I overlooked for so much of my education career that I wish I could yeah. go back in time and just would have started like sitting Indians out on the floor like, hey, here's this project. You know, I have an idea of how it works, but we're going to figure this out together. Let's mm-hmm. let's roll, you know. Um, so I'm glad, glad that you shared that because it's, yeah. it, it was a pivotal moment. I know in my, in my teaching experience, like – I need to be doing more of that um, mm-hmm. as opposed to like the show off. Yeah. I, I think that's so important. You touch on something that um, is one of those other things that I mention a lot to educators is they're always worried. Like well, I need to understand everything about 3d printing or I need to understand everything about coding. Um, and what I, when I was getting started, you know, we got some new piece of technology. Like we got Spheros. I was like, okay, cool. Like, can you like find out what the app is and, you know, like show me how to do it. And I would tell one of my students that, and they would be super excited that I was giving them this responsibility. And I could have gone and downloaded the app and like learned how to do it myself, but giving them that kind of ownership of the process was a really big deal. Um, and like this past year, my school got some funding. And so I went to my students and I was like, okay, like, what would you like to spend the funding on? Like, Oh, I want a 3d printer. I'm like, okay, do some research and tell me like which ones you think would be good ones for us to get, you know, and, and we would talk about it and have those discussions. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, getting them involved in that process and also going like, Oh, like I don't really understand like what the difference is between, you know, single extruder and double extruder. Can you explain that to me? You know, and having them kind of go through that process and also recognize like, Oh, the teacher doesn't know everything. Like, mm-hmm. like it's okay to not know everything and like right. to have to like, look stuff up and learn it um the other thing i really like there too is when you're talking about the projects um this is one of those things that i noticed was really useful for students was leaving out like kind of little partial projects that aren't the completed work um i think it was ryan jenkins who called them half-baked prototypes Mm, i like that (laughs) um yeah where you um you you it's it's the start of something but it's not finished and students see the project midway so it's not as like you know, wow, here's that completed robot. There's no way I can ever make that. It's like, oh, like they got started, but they still need this part and this part. So let me kind of figure out how to finish that. Um, and I think that can um, really help to inspire kids too. When they see that, you know, it's a little more approachable. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I started doing just like in, in some workshops that I do while I'm working with students or, or other educators is I'll make some just quick mock-up prototype projects. So they, people have to have a sense of, where you're going in some capacity. Mm-hmm. But what I've started to do is I've made them like really kind of crappy. Like they're functional. <laughs> like they actually, I, you, you can see what an end product would look like. Right. But I've made it in a way where I didn't spend the extra stupid, crazy hours I used to put into stuff. Like it, it, it just gets the job done. And with mm-hmm. the idea being like, I want people to go, well, I can make something, I can make better than that. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. And so, I mean, I just, and this goes all the way down to very simple projects. I was with a, a fourth grade elementary classroom and we were 
b- working on just some collaboration and critical thinking skills at the end of the year. And so mm-hmm. we're, the challenge was to build uh, Lego marble mazes, you know, and I brought one in mm. and they're like, oh, that's cool. And they're like, but I can do that better. And I'm like, well, go, go do it. Like, and they were so excited to like Great. one up, you know. And so I think that it's, mm-hmm. it's, it kind of fits that, that half-baked prototype. I like Mean Builder 2, I think, really good options for us to think about. Yeah. Um, because we just have to find ways to just keep that engagement going. And, and you, mm-hmm. we never know what's, what, what's going to trigger the, the brains of the kids when they're in, in, in that learning mode. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as, as we kind of – wrap this up here i want to be respectful of your time you know as 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 you think about all the stuff that you've done and i always kind of like to end with this this type of question and and Mm. people are listening in and they're either on their very first steps or they've been involved for for a while um you know what are just some some like general tips or ideas of inspiration that that you tend to maybe give people um i know you do lots of presentations and and work with lots of people just Mm. Just as, as we're getting ready to start into this next school year, just, you know, these, these good, simple reminders, um, you know, mm. maybe going back to earlier that we talked about earlier, so we don't burn out, you know, we don't bite off more than we can chew, which is very easy to do because as educators, we like to try to do it all, all the time. And that's really, really <laughs> hard to do. Um, yeah. So um, I think this is kind of touching on something we talked about before, but one of the th- things I like to finish my presentations with is that there's um, no such thing as a one-size-fits-all makerspace. Um, and I, I mentioned that because what will sometimes happen if I'm doing a presentation is people will see pictures of um, my makerspaces and they'll go, oh, that looks so amazing. Like, I could never do that. Like, so I shouldn't even try. Or, you know, or I'm going to try and it's going to look exactly like that and I have to do this program and I have to have Legos and I have to have this and I have to have that. Um, and we get so caught up in making our makerspaces what we think they need to be because we've seen other people do it that way that we lose sight of what our students might actually need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think really the important thing is is to just, you know, um, talk to your students and, uh, you know, find out what kinds of experiences they're looking for, what kinds of materials they want to work with, what types of projects they want to do. Um, and, and really, as you're developing your makerspace, it's very custom to the needs of your students. You know, that's why my makerspace at my previous school looks very different from the makerspace at my current school and the types of activities we do at my, my previous school. Like at Stewart, it was Legos and Connects like all the time, like in cardboard. Um, we didn't even get a 3D printer until I think it was like my next to last year there. Um, and at my current school, my students are like crazy about 3D printing. And that's like all they want to do is like 3D modeling and 3D printing. And they're like emailing me files to print all the time. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, every every school is going to be different. And it's just kind of figuring out, you know, if I tried to force my previous makerspace model on my current students, it wouldn't work very well because that's just not um, the way that the culture is there right now. And that's not what those students are interested in. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so, yeah. A, yeah, and I think that ties into right, I and mean, and maybe um, I, I keep thinking about these conversations that I'm, I'm having, whether it's makerspace or just learning in general. Like, 
tying it back to, I mean, it's so easy for, for me when I'm working with someone to say, what's your why? Why do you want a makerspace? Like, right. we yeah. use that, that why question, very, very important question, but we use it for mm-hmm. everything in education. At some point, it almost feels watered down. Like people are just like, oh, here we go again. But I always like to mm-hmm. try to challenge people, like, as you're creating your makerspace, what is like the mission and vision of your school? Like, what are the goals that you're right. really after? And that fits into what exactly what you're saying. Like, um, it's not one size fits all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, here's what we did, but this was the needs of my school this year. This is why we did that. But, you know, and right. I could go back to that school next year, um, you know, and it would be a completely different need because mm-hmm. this the, the shifts with the kids and everything else. And so I think that that's, that, that's super important. Um, you know, I'm glad you really touched on that because that's, that's so key. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things um, I talk about sometimes in my presentations is, is thinking about your purpose, your intentions, and your themes, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of getting to that why, but just a little bit more specific. But thinking about, you know, what is the purpose? What are you trying to solve? Um, like at my previous school, we had cut art classes. So my students had no creative outlets. Um, so part of starting that makerspace was finding a place for my students who wanted, you know, creative artistic experiences to be able to express themselves at school. My current school has a thriving arts program, so I don't need to, that's not a purpose I need to worry about filling as much at my current mm-hmm. school. Um, you know, intentions, things like, you know, am I wanting to help support the school robotics program? Am I wanting to, you know, use this as a way to increase collaborations? Is it more of just a free time space for kids when they drop into the library? Um, you know, because all of those are valid things that you could be doing with your makerspace, but what, you know, what kind of purpose, what kind of intentions you have with the space, what experiences you're wanting the kids to get out of it is going to change the way that you do the space, you know, and the types of things that you do in the space. If you just want an open exploration drop-in kind of space, that's very different from, you know, I want to collaborate with my teachers three times a week and bring their classes into the makerspace and do projects together. Um, So I think thinking about those questions is really important. And I think kind of just again going back to what we said earlier you know taking it one step at a time you know like um taking those baby steps don't try to do all the things at once like if I can plan like a collaboration every quarter or every semester I'm excited you know and then if I get more than that then that's like a bonus um but if I'm like okay I'm gonna collaborate 10 times this semester and I'm gonna have this many projects this many activities (laughs) like I'm just I'm setting myself up for failure You know, so I I think giving yourself that space and and allowing yourself to have those, you know, we talk about getting quick wins for our students, but I think quick wins as an educator is good too. Like, you know, I'm going to get at least one really good collaboration this quarter. You get that one really good collaboration and you get two more and it's like, yes, I got bonuses. (laughs) If you had planned, like, I'm going to have four collaborations and you only had three, then you feel like you failed. Yeah. You know? No, I think that's important. I think that's a maybe a really important um, concept for maybe us to kind of end this conversation on that idea of quick wins, not just for our students, but ourselves. And, um, you know, I share this sometimes with people and some people agree and some people disagree, but it's like in order to put students first, we have to put ourselves first, first, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like there, there, there's one of us and a lot of them. And if we don't take the time to build our own capacity, our own confidence, you know, recharge our own battery, you know, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. So I think just going back to exactly what you said, those baby steps, one thing at a time, you know, mm-hmm. building our own quick wins, um, I think really, really will set the stage 
for long-term success because like anything in education there's no there's no overnight success and once you get one thing figured out you know there's something that's going to come in and put a put a wrinkle on things because that's mm-hmm. just the way the way, way, way the world works and so i think really really great advice and for those that have not checked out diana's work the links will be in the show notes she has some phenomenal books for you to check out her blog is amazing it's it's so well organized so many useful tips and tricks and for for libraries and learning spaces and maker space and everything else um she's such a a thoughtful giving person um through all her journeys and learning so if it's not one you're you're using and accessing you need to jump on there and diana if, if, if people want to check that out um where can they go to find your blog um find you online that sort of stuff and we'll make sure we have it all in, in the links but it's always good to to say it out loud too for those maybe that are driving in their car on their way to work Sure, sure. Um, my blog is renovatedlearning.com, um, and that's where I have all my articles. Um, I have contact information on there if you want to email me. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, I am at Diana L. Rendina. Um, so those are good ways to reach out to me, too. Um, and, you know, I'll be frequently sharing stuff on there. I also share um, my school Instagram account is at tprep_library. Um, which I, I kind of, that's a different conversation, but I kind of separate where I'm doing more of my school posting on that account and I'm doing more of my personal posting on my account. Um, so those are good places to follow me and find me on there. This has been an awesome conversation, Diana. I can't thank you enough for uh, finding some time to squeeze in and, and chat with me. I know you've got a busy schedule getting ready for school year and everything else in, in between. And so um, thank you so much. This is going to be so helpful to so many educators that are in this journey trying to figure it all out. And uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, talking with me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you.